All right, so up for today, uh, Steve or I will not be teaching. I want to invite up Matt and Kristen. Uh, some of you guys here in the room, you guys know Matt and Kristen. You know them well. They've been a part of our Anthem Ventura story since day one. Uh, Matt is the lead pastor at Anthem Thousand Oaks, which you guys planted together 12 years ago and some change, and in those 12 years have gotten to either plant directly, send large amounts of money, or large amounts of people to how many churches? What was the list? Like 12 churches over those 12 years, of which we are one. Um, And so uh, in this particular season of uh, us sort of like resetting in the new year. Uh, I, we, Steve and I really wanted Matt and Kristen's voice into some of that for you guys. And so some of you guys are going to be meeting Matt and Kristen for the very first time today. Others of you guys will enjoy sitting under the text with them again. Um, but I'll kind of hand it over to you and let you do whatever you want to do. Is that all right? So if you don't have your Bibles out, grab your Bible or your Bible app. We're going to be through the text uh, and I'll hand it over to Matt and Kristen. Well, we are so happy to be here this morning. Matt just asked me to do a little introduction of who we are and who our family is. But um, before I do that, I just one of the things that was impressed on my heart this morning as we were worshiping was the sweetness of joining with the body of Christ wherever and hearing all of your voices and even imagining as we were all singing together how many rooms like this around the U.S., around the 180 countries around the world in the, in the last 24 hours, like have had that same sound and all of that rising up together. Like it was such a joy to join with these voices and then imagine the millions of voices around the world that are praising our Savior today. And so I just wanted to encourage you guys with that is just how, how big the story that we are a part of is. And sometimes they, our eyes can go down, but this morning God specifically lifted my eyes up to even just imagine how the multitude of people around the world that, sing, that are singing his praises today. So that was super encouraging to me um, to be here. And so, yeah, we are Matt and Kristen. We've been married um, almost 21 years. Um, all of that doing ministry together, which terrified me greatly 21 years ago. (laughs) This moment right here was not what I imagined for my life, but God has a way of bringing us into things that stretch us, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, We have five kiddos. Uh, They are 18, 17, 14, 10, and (laughs) 5. The first three are boys, and then we have two little girls. Um, and it's such a joy. We love, we love parenting, um, we love ministry, and uh, we love church planting. So this is um, a place we love to be. What else about our life? Awesome. Family, church. He's a soccer coach this year. That's new for us. <laughs> and I'm a team mom uh, for our two high school boys who play soccer. And uh, that's kind of our world these days. Yeah. So, and we love the scriptures. So I will let you, I'll pray for you, and we'll go into that. Jesus, we um, come before you as your people, grateful to be your people, grateful to be called sons and daughters, um, in awe of who you are, that you are the most high God, that you reign above it all, that you hold all things together, um, but yet you are a God who has wanted his people to be with him and has gone to such lengths to uh, make a way for that. Thank you for being with us. We thank you for being here with us. We pray that your spirit would be working in each of our hearts as we um, open your word today. Pray for Matt that you would speak through him. In your name, amen. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, 
I have a, a whole message that I'm going to preach, but uh, before I get into that, I just want to start by not assuming anything. So I'm going to take a couple minutes and just uh, share the gospel of Jesus with you and invite you to follow him. Um, we're about to celebrate Christmas, and one of the names that gets sung a lot at Christmas time is Emmanuel, and it means God with us, and that's the gospel encapsulated in a phrase, uh, that God was with us in the Garden of Eden, and he will be with us for eternity but there was an interim that he promised, and that was that his son would enter into humanity, would be among humanity, with humanity, part of humanity, embodying humanity. And that son would live a perfect, sinless life, the life that none of us could ever quite live up to. And then that son would actually be executed by the very people he came to save. But his death was significant. Not a death like anybody else's death, but to have a perfect and pure, innocent man with no sin whatsoever, the only person that didn't have to pay the penalty of death, he paid the penalty of death, and it had an effect on more people than just him. It actually had the effect on all humanity for all time that anybody that would believe in him, put their faith in Jesus for salvation, would experience the benefit of his death for us. And so as followers of Jesus, that's what, you know, we say Christians, that word Christian just means little Christs. As followers of Jesus, we put our faith in Jesus for salvation. And yes, it gives us eternal life. And it's something that we look forward to, heaven and eternity and the, the, the new kingdom and all of the things that the Bible talks about. The future looks great, but also God promises an abundant life. And that's life today because his promise to be with us has already been fulfilled. So Jesus, when he, he came, he said, I will be with you to the very end of the age. He promised his Holy Spirit. And so what you have today, what you have if you are a follower of Jesus is the very presence of God with you at all times, everywhere you go. And that is the great gift. The treasure of the gospel is the presence of God with us. And so we walk through this life with a different kind of confidence, with a different kind of attitude, it shapes us, it molds us, it teaches us how to speak differently, how to think differently, how to love differently, how to relate differently. It changes everything about us today, and that's how the world will ultimately be transformed, is people giving their lives to Jesus, being shaped by the Spirit of God, and bringing the presence of God into a broken world and helping to bless hurting humanity with the grace of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. And if you've not said yes to that, before I even preach the scriptures today, I just want to encourage you to consider. I, I realize that two minutes of me telling you the gospel may not be the moment for you to say yes to following him, but I want to plant the seed and say that's what we're here for. That's what we do. That's what we're about. And then the rest of life as church is figuring out how we do that together. It's, it's actually like clashing so that we can figure out how grace works. It's, uh, it's singing so that we can figure out how grace works. It's, it's giving so that we can figure out, okay, what does it look like for me to actually believe that God is bigger than me? It's all of those things. And it's the life of following Jesus that we do together. And it's beautiful and, and challenging and refining and we call that sanctification. It makes us holy to walk together in the difficulty of life. So I uh, just want to encourage you. God is good, and we get to walk with him, and that's the best part of following Jesus. So uh, there you go. If you want to follow Jesus, you can talk to Steve. You can talk to Bert. You can talk to pretty much 
Whoever invited you to church, we always say that at Anthem TO. We don't want it to be that only the pastors can dole out spiritual information. Uh, whoever's the person that invited you to come and be a part of church, you ask that person, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And you'll get the purest answer. I, I fully believe that. Um, all right. So today I'm going to walk through some scriptures, and there's sort of an, an assumption of a few things, and so I do uh, some knowledge, and I want to fill in as much as I can, but then I'm also just going to charge, and if you need to go back and study more later, you can. Uh, the, the, the assumptions are these, uh, that you know that the book of Acts, which I'm going to be referencing quite a bit, uh, is a narrative or a story of a historical story of the church taking shape after Jesus ascended into heaven. Okay, so Jesus came, he lived 33 years on earth. Uh, three of those years were in ministry where he was preaching and teaching throughout the land of Israel, uh, most of it in the north of Israel, in, in the Galilean region, but occasionally he would come down to Jerusalem around a lot of the times of the festivals. A lot of his teaching happens in Jerusalem at the temple. He spends a lot of time teaching people about why he's there, the kingdom of God. So he shares all of those things, and then he goes to the cross, he dies. Uh, everybody wonders what's going to happen. Three days later, he is raised from the dead. He spends a couple weeks with his disciples and a few other people, uh, and then he ascends into heaven, Matthew chapter 28. Uh, we have this great commission, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We have this great commission, so that's kind of the link, is there's this Jesus saying a few words before he ascends into heaven uh, and sends down the Holy Spirit, and that's the beginning of the book of Acts. And so the book of Acts is the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the people that said yes to following Jesus receive the Holy Spirit and start to live out life as followers of Jesus. So we have uh, the greatest level of connection that we have to the scriptures is actually to the people in the book of Acts. It's they're living our experience. All right, Steve works for an organization called Acts 29. We've said for 12 years they have the best name in church planting. Because that's it, the 29th chapter of Acts. We continue on the storyline of the book of Acts. Everything that we see in the book of Acts, we have access to. We have the Spirit of God. We have the gifts given to the church. We have all of it. And so that's the world that we're living in today. We, we are the continuation of the book of Acts. We're writing the 29th chapter of Acts. And I actually love it. If you read through the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, it's not a completed story. Luke just puts the pen down and jumps in. He just seals it and sends it off to Theophilus, and they keep going. Stuff just keeps happening. So our goal for today is to actually try and understand a little bit of, in that time in the book of Acts, uh, how the, the early church was taking shape with partnerships happening. Okay, you, we've got this situation with Anthem and Arise have partnered up. In addition to that, Anthem Church is connected to a family of churches, Anthem Thousand Oaks and Camarillo and Denver and Anthem Ventura, and we've planted a number of other churches, and we have a group called the Genesis Collective that started to walk together because we want to plant more churches into the nations, and so we're, we're partnering up. Arise Church uh, has been partnered with Anthem Ventura, has been partnered with uh, Acts 29, has actually done work into uh, cities and nations trying to bring the gospel to more places you might look around the room and say, okay, there's like 45 people in the room. Why are we talking about a big global gospel story all the time? Why is this thing always so big when this is so small? And I, I, I don't know if you think that. But I want to explain why every church, I love that Kristen brought that up, every church 
You know, the average church size in America is like 75 people. And we think of big churches all the time. The average church size in America is 75 people. And there are thousands of them around our country. Millions of these churches around the world worshiping Jesus. And that collective family is working together to bring the good news of Jesus to a hurting world. And we are a part of it. And so I want to talk today about what it means to be a part of that global gospel adventure, the apostolic partnerships that take the the gospel to the nations. The word apostolic means sent. What does it look like for us to partner in our sentness to take Jesus to the nations? So we're going to start with a passage that I believe you guys looked at last week, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Is that accurate? You guys looked at that last week? Oh, Anthem, Ventura did. All right. Sorry, Arise, you don't know Ephesians 4. All right. So I'm going to read it and not necessarily dive into it. We're going to read it as a launch into some passages in the book of Acts. So it says this. Uh, The he, when Paul writes this, by the way, and he, that's Jesus that he's talking about. So it says, and he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Ephesians 4 is often talked about as this passage that identifies the objective of the church. We're here to grow into this healthy organism that is Jesus at the head and, and everything flows out of that. And we're working together. We're partnered. There's gifts. There's, there's community. There's unity. There's mission and purpose. And, and so this Ephesians 4 passage is, it's sort of like painting the, the ideal picture so that we all know what it is that we're working towards as the church. And you look at this and you see the beginning. Paul writes, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And I, I, I was processing through him saying that and just thinking, okay, what did, it, what did he see? Because that's a past tense. He gave. Paul's not, this isn't like uh, Paul hoping that Jesus will give apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers for the equipping of the saints. This is Paul saying he gave. So he's seen it. And I wanted to look through the book of Acts and just see what did Paul see that made him write Ephesians 4? I mean, understanding that the Holy Spirit inspired that Paul write Ephesians 4, but it's also combined with his own experience. So what did Paul actually witness that he could say from his own experience, Jesus gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. And so that's really what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to look at four things of what biblical partnership looks like, and we're going to take a look at some of those gifts as we walk through it. So if you have your Bibles, you're going to need them. Open them up to the book of Acts. We're going to start in chapter 13. It's all digital. Back in the day, pages would turn. You could just hear the the flapping of the scriptures, and yes, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. 
can't even imagine. You know, if you grew up in like Sunday school, we used to do these things called sword drills. Anybody do sword drills where somebody would call out a scripture and the first person to get there would stand up and read it? And with phones, man, that's just like how fast can your thumbs move? All right. Here we go. This is Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 1. It says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Okay? So Paul's already seen these. Luke's writing this. And Paul got to be there with a bunch of prophets and teachers. He saw the church start to take shape with people. You think of the difference between a prophet and a teacher. A prophet, somebody that's hearing the voice of God, helping to discern the voice of God, helping to bring uh, what might be the prophetic active word of God. And then you have the teacher who's explaining the word of God, somebody that can take the scriptures and help us understand our doctrine, our theology uh, through the lens of the scriptures. So that collection, Antioch, was a powerful church. Uh, Often People consider it a megachurch. Upwards of over a 1,000 people have participating in Jerusalem and then many more also participating in the church at Antioch. These are big churches with big gifts. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, a very multi-ethnic, multicultural group of prophets and teachers, were there together at Antioch. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to, and then they went to a lot of places. Okay, And actually they ended up taking John Mark with them. So it was uh, Saul, who later becomes Paul, and Barnabas, and they take John Mark and they head out. And this group starts out on a journey, and their journey is to go and take the gospel into cities and to plant churches. And everywhere they go, they, they, they preach the gospel. There's, so there's evangelism. They're breaking new ground. And then they start to build up these churches. And a church is a, an assembly of the people of God. If you've ever heard of the denomination Assemblies of God, it's just people taking the word ecclesia, the word for church, and putting it into English. It's the, it's the gathering or the assembly of the people of God. And so a church was whoever gave their lives to Jesus in a town. They were the church there. It's part of that that's really refreshing. When you see church.ventura, or ventura.church, sorry, when you see that website, there's something about that that feels very biblical. That churches would partner together, that, that the body of Christ would take on a bit of a big C component where it's like, we work together. We love Jesus. We're going to work together. We're going to minister together. We're going to acknowledge each other. We're going to see that it's more important that we walk together under the name Jesus than we walk together under our own brand. And so we're going to actually like work really hard to unify under the name of Jesus. It's a really important and biblical thing. I've got a mentor, uh, and a lot of times we'll go to him, and people will ask him questions. His name's Chris Venand, and people will ask him questions uh, about ministry or about theology. And, and before he answers the question, he'll ask uh, them, he'll say, how biblical do you want to be? And there, there are elements of what we read in the scriptures that we have to wrestle with and say, do we want it to look like this? Do, we, do, do I want my life to actually look like what I read on the pages of the book of Acts? And that, as you think about life in church, that's something that you're going to want to ask. Do I want my life to look like that? Because if I do, there's some really powerful components to that. And there's some great availability. You have access to a life that looks like this, and that's what we're going to be talking about right now. 
this group, Paul and Barnabas, they step out on mission. And I want to fast forward to Acts chapter 20. I want to show you who they pick up along the way. Before we read this Acts 20, I want to share with you some of my favorite passages of Scripture are Romans chapter 16, Colossians chapter 4, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. It's just the end when the names get read off. And it's all the things of people saying stuff to each other and Paul sending greetings because it shows this narrative, shows the storyline of the church and the way that relationships were the bedrock of a lot of the ministry that was taking place. It's actually a really fun thing to read. And this Acts chapter 20 is where a lot of those start. All right, so Acts chapter 20, verse 1, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. Okay, so this is Paul at Ephesus. We just read Ephesians 4. So This is Paul getting ready to leave that church and go on and start traveling around. And so he called the disciples together. We'll see a little bit later in Acts 20 that he'll call for the Ephesian elders. So he'll ask the leadership of the Ephesian church to come meet him at a beach on Miletus. But here he actually calls the disciples. What that means is he calls the whole church together. So after the riot, which there was a big riot, Paul sent for the disciples and he encouraged them. He said farewell and he departed from Macedonia. So the church came together and they got a chance to hear from the apostle and got a chance to experience him and be encouraged by him. When he had gone through those regions, he had given them much encouragement. He came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, he was about to set sail for Syria. He decided to return through Macedonia. Okay, I love all the places. It's fun to look at a map. That's just my, that's how I geek out. I like to look at the map and just watch where the journeys go and that type of thing. And we've been to some of these places, and it's really fun to see them in the present day. All right, verse 4. So Peter, the Berean son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of the unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. All right. So this crew of people, Sopater, Pyrrhus, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius, Timothy, Tychicus, Trophimus. They get on the boat. In Acts chapter 20, they get on the boat. They join Paul and they start traveling with him, going to different places and seeing some different things. And then the unnamed person that's with them is Luke. There's a significant thing that happens in Acts chapter 20. For 19 chapters, Luke has been writing about they and them. And in Acts chapter 20, he switches to we and us. And for the rest of the book of Acts, Luke is telling the story as one of the people on the boat. He's live time. He's live blogging. All right. Luke was the first live blogger to actually record things as he was going through them. So this is, you know, now autobiography. So this group of people kind of show up and there's there's something significant about that. People coming together on mission and they form a bit of a partnership that's going, to happen, that's going to take some different shape over the years. And so I want to talk about what biblical partnerships look like or apostolic partnerships look like as we step into them. So four things. Number one, apostolic partnerships or biblical partnerships. Sorry, I'll use both words. I'm not sure if you're comfortable with apostolic. For me, it's, it, it's not 
talking specifically about an apostle, but it's talking about the idea of being on mission together. Uh, and so that's, why I, that's the way that I would use apostolic, but biblical partnerships might be more comfortable for you. So apostolic partnerships pray for each other. That's what we'll talk about. Okay. The second thing, what it looks like uh, is apostolic partnerships get on the boat together. We'll talk about that. Apostolic partnerships share about what God is doing in the churches. We'll talk about that. And apostolic partnerships are financially invested in their own church and the work of other churches, apostolic mission going forward. So there's financial investment. There's prayer. There's journeying together. There's sharing about uh, each other, wins and victories about each other. And then there's being financially invested in each other. So let's walk through these. First of all, Praying for each other. Philippians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Philippians chapter 1. If you need to find them, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. My kids like God eats peas and carrots to help you remember the order. All right. Philippians chapter 1. What's that? God eats popcorn? That's just not as healthy. All right. So, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul shares with the Philippian church, I pray for you. I pray for you often. Every time I remember you, I pray for you. Now that's a huge encouragement to a church to hear that they're being prayed for by somebody that's not even a pastor at their church. This is somebody that's outside, that's traveling around. He's been there. He does love them, but he prays for them. In 2 Corinthians 1.11, Paul asks the Corinthian church to pray for us. And this is that partnership. I pray for you. Pray for us. We're together in prayer. Every Sunday morning, I go for a hike. It's probably like a seven or eight month tradition. I, I don't know. I've been doing it for a while. I go for a six mile hike out in the Wildwood Canyon area in Thousand Oaks. And um, there's another group that also goes for a hike every Sunday morning. There's a, a group of Hispanic uh, uh, believers that go out and there's a place called Lizard Rock in Wildwood and they hike up to the top of this rock. Uh, they worship, they sing, they, they uh, blow a ram's horn, they pray. Uh, and every single Sunday, I'm, I'm hiking out while they're finished. I'm, I go out pre-dawn. I'm before the sun comes up, and these guys are on their way back uh, every single Sunday. And I get to say, you know, uh, buenos dias, Dios le bendiga. I get to speak with them very briefly as we pass each other. They start to smile now when they see me, but there's this, just this joy of seeing each other. And I just even this morning as I was prepping this, I thought every Sunday my city is being prayed for and worshipped over by these guys. I'm being prayed for by brothers and sisters in Christ. They're interceding to God on my behalf and opening doors, spiritual doors in my city. And I was massively encouraged to hear, to even think about that. Every, they're so faithful. They don't miss a Sunday. First time I heard that ram's horn, it freaked me out. Have you ever heard a shofar get blown? Really, they're really loud. And I'm just, I'm hiking pre-dawn. It's dark out there. And there's a, it's like, what is going on? And then I, I saw the guys. And then I knew. I just, I, I, it's one thing to be a part of a church. 
It's one thing to be a part of a church and to have maybe a group and just say, I'll pray for you, you know, and just like kind of do the, do the thing where you say, I'll pray for somebody. Uh, I don't know what your percentage of actually praying for the people that you say you pray for is. Uh, I was low for a long, long time. And eventually I realized that I don't want to be that low. So I started praying for people on the spot. I wouldn't tell them I'd pray for them. I'd just say, let me pray for you. And I'd start praying for them because I got really frustrated with myself for the amount of people that I said to them, I'll pray for you. And then I never prayed for them. All right. So that was just something. That was, that was just me. But that's just like even in our small circles. And then praying for other churches, it's not something we often think about. Praying for a city, it's not always something we often think about. Praying for our broader partnerships, Acts 29, Genesis Collective, Anthem Family of Churches, these, these other churches that we're, that we're partnered with, that we're engaged with. Actually making the decision to, pray, to make prayer a part of our lives, that's what it would look like to make our lives look like the Bible, is to be people who choose to pray. I had to get really specific and intentional about it because I found myself forgetting. So I, I started a Google sheet of all the things that I wanted to pray for. And I just, I, I, you know, it might sound a little too formulaic. You maybe want a little bit more of an organic spirit-led prayer. I just didn't want to forget all the people that I love and care deeply about. And I wanted to remember them. I wanted to see their names and their faces. I wanted to remember their kids' names and write them down so I could be praying for leaders and people that we meet in these churches. And, I, and so I've just got a building, a growing building list that I'm trying to use to remember to pray for people. If you're going to be engaged in a church that looks like the New Testament, a big part of that is you saying, I'm going to be somebody that prays for my church and the people that we're partnered with here and around the world to advance the gospel. And then following through. I could, I could heap spoonfuls of guilt about prayer on us. And I don't, I don't want to do that. It's not a, it's not a metric of success. It's just, it's just calling on us once again to say, if I want to live a, a biblical life, a sent life, it's going to mean choosing to be a person of prayer for the people that I'm linked arms with on the mission of God. And even if you don't know them personally, but you're connected by church, that's something to take on as well. And the encouragement aspect of that, and this is just something that I encourage you to do, is to tell people when you pray for them. Paul did. I thank my God every time I remember you. And the Philippians got to read that letter out loud and just be like, Paul prays for us. He remembers us. He thinks about us. And when he does, he goes to the Lord on our behalf and asks for things. It's such a, an amazing encouragement to pray for somebody and then to tell them that you're praying for them. So that's the first thing of what it looks like to be in a biblical partnership. It's pray for each other. Okay, the second thing, get on the boat, that Acts 20 chapter. Uh, let's go back there, actually. Acts 20 uh, is such a, an amazing thing to look at and to see this, this group get on the boat. What we find out is that that group actually doesn't break up until Paul gets arrested in Israel. So they're together for quite a few chapters of the book of Acts. And I just want to share a couple of things that get seen in this. Acts chapter 20, verses 13 through 18 says this. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board. We went to Mytilene, sorry, some of the names. And, he, and sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios to the next day we touched at Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to set sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, 
for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Okay, uh, a couple more. Verse 18, 17, now from Miletus he sent, to Ephesians, uh, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. And then he goes on and on and on. Uh, Acts chapter 20 is hugely significant uh, for our elder development. We take people through the development of eldership. Acts 20 is one of those passages we read over and over and over because it's Paul giving instructions to the Ephesian elders. He's telling them, here's how to shepherd your church. Here's how to elder your church. He gives them some deep theology that the church belongs to Jesus. It was obtained with his own blood. So elders are stewards of the church that was obtained with God's own blood. And you look at that and you think, Timothy was there. Tychicus was there. So Peter was there. So Peter starts a church later. He starts a church in his home later. And he was there watching Paul on his knees weeping with the Ephesian elders while he pleads with them to lead the church that belongs to Jesus with the tenderness of Jesus himself. And that sinks in when you get to see things like that. When you get to experience things like that, there's something about that that changes you. Just a couple weeks ago, uh, Bert got on a plane and flew to Nepal. And uh, he went with uh, Mark Avery, who started a ministry called Touch Nepal. And he went with Ryan Hinkle, who's on the board for Touch Nepal. And it's a ministry that uh, we partner with pastors that are in the remotest areas of the world. Uh, I went to one of these places and I asked them how many Americans had been there. And they were like, you're it. And I said, no, 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 not, not this week. Like how many Americans have been here? And they said, no, you're the first person we've ever brought up here. And it was one of those things, just a weird thing to think that that's how remote this is. And Bert went to some of those same kind of places. And he, what he got a chance to see is the work that's being done, the training, the developing, the shaping uh, of guys that uh, grew up completely not connected to Christianity. These are guys that grew up either Hindu or Buddhist or both. There's a weird combination in Nepal of Hinduism and Buddhism. And they've given their lives to Jesus and they're, they're being transformed. Many of these guys don't, haven't known how to read. They're learning how to read. They're learning how to read the scriptures. They're learning how to study the scriptures. They're learning how to teach the scriptures. And they're taking all of that to villages of 45 people and they have a church of nine people and they're preaching the gospel week in and week out and loving people and shepherding them. For Bert to get on the plane or get on the boat and go and see that, that's forever changed his perspective. It's forever changed his preaching. It's forever changed the, the stories that he tells. He has something that, that's marked him. And he did some teaching there, but the point wasn't to get Bert to Nepal so that Bert could wow the nation of Nepal with his evangelistic fervor. It was actually for him to be able to see. And you look at the list of guys that are on the boat, and most of them are going places and watching Paul do ministry. They're actually going to these different cities and seeing things that happen to Paul, and they're observing them. But it's shaping the next generation of church leaders that get written about in Romans 16, in Colossians chapter 4, the end of all of Paul's letters. And he's saying, hey, remember Phoebe and the church in her house? Hey, remember Archippus? And he's saying these things about people that he had been discipling and showing a different kind of way. So what does this have to do with you? I mentioned Bert. He's a pastor. And sure, pastors go to Nepal. 
But actually, there's something else going on. Part of this is you as a part of the church that's on an apostolic mission, a sent mission to the world, showing up, being present, having your kids around. When ministry on the avenue happens and somebody gets saved and you get a chance to witness that and see that happen, and then you get to tell the story for generations because you were there. When two churches come together for five months, they spend time and life and energy learning how to do something that doesn't usually get done. Most of my time with Bert, my one-on-ones are like, you know, we don't really know how the whole, like, what if people come and they don't know which church to be a part of? (laughs) We'll figure it out. There's no manual for this. But we want to say yes to the thing that God's saying for us to do right now. And you all get to tell the story for years of that season that Anthem and Arise spent together and we had to learn how to do life together and how to figure out how to be two churches that meet in the same place. We're different churches. We're the same. We gather. We scatter. It's weird. You don't get to tell that story if you're not here. And I look at these guys getting on the boat and obviously not every believer got on the boat. That's just not, that's not the story of Acts, and that's not the point that I'm trying to make. This is my encouragement to you as an individual. There are a lot of things that you're invited into. There are a lot of things that we miss because the world has our attention, and we want to go somewhere else and be somewhere else. And I just, my, my challenge to you is to shape your life around the adventure that God has you on rather than the adventure that the world would write for you. There may be moments where you dip out. That's fine. That's, it's fine. I'll go snowboarding with my kids. I'll t- you, know, we'll do, we'll, you do life. Life is going to happen. That's fine. But if you're talking about building the core structure of your life, you actually want to build it around the rhythm of the mission of God. That's what a biblical life or an apostolic life would look like. That the norm is that when Some of the leaders get up and say, hey, a few of us are going to go do this thing. Your default is yes, I'm in. The norm for you is to say, I don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss out on what's going on over there. Let me take a brief minute and scan through the scriptures because there's something that I want to share with you, but I forget which verse it's in. So let me just see this real fast. See if I can get it. All right. Sorry, guys. Not seeing it. Okay. Uh, Oh, there it is. Found it. 21 verse 5. All right. Okay. It says this. Chapter 21 verse 5. When our days there ended, we departed and went on our journey And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed. We have five kids. I know how hard it is to go and be a part of something you want to focus, you want to learn, you want to worship, you want to get yours on, your, your time, your energy. You want to be a part of it. And it's so easy to just try and get the kids somewhere else, covered, out, away, uh, not, not with us. 
one of the most important disciplines I think that we can have as believers is actually bringing our kids into this biblical apostolic adventure in every way imaginable. However we can find ways for them to see what we see, even if they don't fully understand it. I guarantee Calvin is not listening to 99% of the things that I'm saying right now. He has not taken notes on that pad. But the other day I got to go to the office and Calvin was mid-donut day with his dad. And he sees me here preaching. We've seen each other over the years. We've gotten to know these kids and, and experience them. They, the relationship that we have with the Alcorns is not just with Bert and Sherry. We love their kids. We pray for their kids. I love that their kids are seeing their dad go to Nepal. I love that they're having to FaceTime him in, and it's daytime for him and it's nighttime for them and then it switches uh, at night and they have to, they have to FaceTime and, and they're realizing that their dad's on the other side of the world for the sake of the gospel and that one day they're going to go with him. They're going to get to see it firsthand and taste the weird food and experience a different language Bringing them in is so important. And I just, I, you see that, Acts 21.5, you see that. The, the families, they just, they went with Paul as far as they could just so that they could spend a little bit more time together with him. Whoa, I'm already at 37 minutes, you guys. I'm so sorry. Okay, <laughs> I'm so sorry. All right, we got two more. So my, my encouragement is get on the boat. If there's opportunities, say yes. Okay. Okay, last two. Share about what God is doing in the churches. First Thessalonians chapter 1. All right. So First Thessalonians, Paul loves this church. He's had a great experience with them. And in verses 6 through 8, he says this. He says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Paul's saying, people have gotten so good about talking about your faith that I don't have to say anything. I'm hearing about it from other people. Uh, right now, Christianity is, uh, we, we, we tell our church, we're really grateful in this season. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, church is sort of shrinking through the COVID era, and it's just gotten kind of weird uh, to be a Christian. And actually, even just you read through the news, and there's all kinds of stuff about evangelical Christians in the news, and it's never good. And then you kind of have to ask the question, am I, one of the, am I an evangelical Christian? And you're just like wondering, how, how, how does the world view us right now? And so we're in an era where there's no social capital for being a Christian. You gain nothing. In fact, it's probably a step back. So well done for being here. What it means is that, you know, in previous generations, maybe the slipstream took you into church, and right now the slipstream takes you out of church. The world doesn't like us. They don't like what we're doing. They don't like what we believe. They don't like how we live. If we never share the goodness of God with each other and even with people that are trying to, to know Jesus, 
And all they ever see is just what feels like obligation. The rhythm of showing up at church, giving money you don't have, uh, and serving till you're burnt out, and then you walk away. And they're just, that's the story, the narrative that's getting told over and over and over. And until we start verbalizing what we see and what we experience, I'm going to tell you about a text. I'm going to keep it anonymous just because it's still an ongoing situation, but I'm going to tell you about a text I got. It was just, it was a really encouraging one. We had a guy that called us. His wife was experiencing some significant me- mental health issues, and uh, he called us and asked us to come and pray for healing. He said, uh, do you guys practice James 5? How biblical do you want to be? Yes, we practice James 5. James 5 says, if any of you is sick, let him call for the elders, and they'll come and anoint and pray for, pray for him. And so our elder team and actually a couple others that were in a small group, we came over uh, and uh, the guy had asked his wife to be there. And, and when I say significant mental health issues, um, hard to imagine if she even knew who we were. And we've known her for a long time. If, we, if she even knew who we were, uh, severe state of manic uh, stuff going on, big time. And so we got there and, um, you know, we, we talked to them. We prayed for them. Uh, we asked her if we could anoint her with oil. Uh, she said yes. We prayed for her. Um, we, it, was a, it was a significant time, and I just, I'm going to share the text that I just got the other night, last night, actually. Hey, everyone, here's an update on things. I'll say my wife, because I'll keep it an honest. My wife is doing amazing. This past week, she seems to be 90% recovered to the person I've always known. For many years, I have happily anticipated the time when I would activate the James 5 instruction. <laughs> I am so eternally grateful for your love and service of prayer towards my wife and myself, the Lord and the church. I will always cherish the evening you came to the house. Personally, I don't think I have passed through a valley of the shadow like this one in my life. The suffering and the sorrow is for real and tough, but the spiritual greatness that accompanies it is ultimate. Much appreciated. Glory to God. We got to see a woman. I mean, it, it, do you ever get nervous about declaring healing? Because you just want to be careful. I mean, it's like whatever is going to happen in the future right now, by God's grace, this woman is experiencing freedom from severe mental illness difficulty. And it's drastic. God is at work and he's powerful and he's moving. And I want to share that because it it was something that I got to experience two weeks ago and last night. God is good. He is alive and he is working. Part of our job as biblical partners, apostolic partners, is to share when God does something amazing, you talk about it. When God's at work, you talk about it. Paul told everybody he talked to about the Thessalonians, and then he started getting to the place where he didn't even have to say it because their reputation went everywhere he was trying to go. People were talking about the faith of the Macedonians. It resounded. Talk about the generosity of the Macedonians. It resounded. This is an important thing because I, I want you to hear it's okay for us to talk about the good things of God. It's okay for us to tell stories about how God is at work, and it's, it's part of how we join with each other. One thing I, I tell a lot of people is when you're struggling for your own, own stories of God's goodness, it is okay to borrow somebody else's. So if you hear a good story of something happening in somebody's life, you ask that person, can I share that? Because that's a huge encouragement to me, and I want to be able to bless somebody else. And Paul, he, he does that all the time where he tells one church about another church's faith and he's helping them find their encouragement when they themselves are struggling. 
The last thing to be involved in an apostolic partnership is to be financially invested in apostolic work. If we're going to be biblical partners, if we're going to be apostolic partners, we're going to do what they did in the book of Acts, and that's sharing with what God's given to us to advance the kingdom of God. We talk about it frequently in the local church context. Um, the tithe is not a law, but we use it as a benchmark. It's throughout God's story. He's talked about uh, the tithe as a, uh, an operational mindset, giving a tenth of all that God's entrusted to us. We return it back to him, and it's an important thing. It's something that we practice as part of the rhythm of our life. And then there's this aspect of taking what God's given to us and saving so that we can bless so Paul talks to the Corinthian church, and he, he gives them some specific instructions. He says, hey, there's famine in Jerusalem, and I'm going to take some money to them. Start collecting every week so that when I get there, I can pick up the money and take it to Jerusalem so that there's no delay at all in the generosity because they need it. And the church starts to rally the finances so that they can bless the famine-stricken uh, Jerusalem church. I share that because there's opportunities that are going to pop up. There's the every, the, uh, the every time stuff. Um, can I ask some awkward questions? Bert, what's uh, Anthem Ventura's budget? What percentage is just pure, like, bless other people? 15% of Anthem Ventura's budget is just de dedicated to bless other people. Do you know roughly a rise? 7 or 8%. So of all the money that's given, there's that opportunity to just bless and give freely. And it goes to the nations, it goes to the avenue, it goes to uh, the kingdom center, it goes to the different places where work is being done to just be a blessing. In addition to that, unique opportunities to plant churches, uh, to send a group to go and minister somewhere, uh, to, to help another church out. And the call will be there. And an apostolic partnership is an invitation for you to say, well, this is what we do. We help the mission of God move forward, and we want to prepare in our hearts a yes for those opportunities as they come up. And so I just wanted to encourage you with those things, to pray, to go, that's the get on the boat, to share, to talk about what God's doing, and to give. That's what it's going to look like for us to reflect or mirror the churches of the scriptures and the big gospel adventure that God's got us on. Now, even as these churches go, uh, there's separate ways for the season. I say it's hard to even say it going your separate ways because that's not what it's going to look like. But meeting in different places for the next few months and seeing where God takes us, the, the story is linked together. The relationships are bound together. An apostolic partnership has taken shape. And so this is what it's going to look like to continue in that, to pray for each other, to be there, to share about each other, and to give financially when those opportunities arise. Sorry. All right, let me pray for us because I went long. So, uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to hear from you, to uh, walk together in your way, to hear the good news of Jesus, and hopefully, Lord, to live faithfully in uh, the way of Jesus. So we ask, Lord, for your blessing on these two churches. We ask for a beautiful Christmas season. Uh, that even as they take a pause, as they, as they rest for these few weeks, uh, Lord, that it would be uh, a time filled with joy and the peace that comes from our God and King and a readiness to charge into 2022 with full readiness for all that you have for us, Lord. We love you. We praise you. Thank you for these churches. It's in your name we pray. Amen.